Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another Stars Forever podcast. We uh, are excited to be able to share some uh, some different discussions again today. Um, wanted to start out um, right away, as we have been doing with our past episodes, and um, talk a little bit about the comments and questions that we got from our last episode. Um, and then we will kind of go from there into uh, today's topic. So first one to say, we really appreciate, we got some, uh, some really nice comments and some uh, uh, appreciative comments uh, from our standpoint. So thank you for those. Um, and then there's one, one question, um, was a kind of combination of questions um, for Rye um, on, on uh, our, our last episode, which was the, you know, what it was like to basically be in flight school and the days and, and what all goes on. So um, people really appreciated and didn't understand the countless hours that are put in um, in preparing and, um, you know, and some thanks to him for his service and those things, which we, um, you know, I know he appreciates and um, I appreciate for him. So, so here's the question, Ryan. Uh, first two questions, I'm just going to combine them. Um, what's it like flying with these instru instructors in each of the phases? Are some nice and others not? Do you get more of a standard experience in primary versus advanced? Um, is this a tough experience and the other a more learning experience? Um, so I think that's a kind of a combination of asking about the, the, the level of the structures, which I think you can talk to and I know I can talk to. And, um, and then the other about the differences between primary and advanced and, and uh, what you think there. Yeah, certainly it, there's a difference between the two. Uh, you know, primary is is named that for a reason. Primary is more of a an aptitude test type of uh, type of phase of flight school. So the instructors are going to be a little bit tougher, a little bit uh, more strict on the little things uh, to see whether you have the aptitude to fly. Versus advanced, they are much more. It's especially helicopters. It's much more of a crew atmosphere. Because in helicopters, you're always flying as a pair. So the instructor next to you is, uh, you know, helping you out with things that you're tasking them to change radio frequencies, to uh, adjust things on the screen, things like that. Versus primary, it's kind of expected that you're going to do all of those things. And the instructor is just kind of a silent observer in the back. So overall though i wouldn't say that i had any real bad experience as far as a primary instructor pilot uh, certainly people were different and there were ones that are more friendly and outgoing and talkative and others that are much more quiet just kind of say things when uh when needed um but certainly you know that's just to be expected with flying with a different person almost every day anyway so everybody handles things a little bit differently. Everybody acts a little bit differently. Uh, but certainly there is a an expectation that things are going to be handled differently in primary. And then once you get to advance, it's kind of told to you, hey, you're through the part that's trying to weed you out of flight school. You're through the part that's trying to determine, are you good enough to do this? And now in advance, it is instead how can we teach you to become the best helicopter pilot you can be? How can we teach you to work as a crew, to work with somebody else, to get a manage. mission done? Yeah, manage the cockpit. Yep. 
Yes. So advanced is certainly much more of a, a grow together, work as a team type of experience, while primary is much more of a can you handle the pressure? Can you handle the stress of flying, especially in the T6 flying along at 200 miles an hour? Are you apt? Do you have enough of an aptitude to be able to tune radios, listen to the frequencies, make radio calls, write stuff down on your kneeboard, and also still continue flying? Versus helicopters, it's more so of a you're focused on flying, your co pilot, who's the instructor, is writing. Uh, writing down radio calls, um, making, doing the checklist, doing things like that. So there's a big difference, but I think it's kind of a, a it makes sense and when the swap happens. Yeah, I, I think you know from your stories to me and so forth, it, it's a it's a logical growth in your training as far as I'm concerned. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think primary. You know, you really start learning how to do all of this stuff yourself, learning how these systems work, why you do things a certain way. And then by the time you get to advanced, where now you're delegating that task to the instructor, you know how to do it. You know why you're doing it. You can do it at a fast pace and under stress if need be. But now instead you're recognizing, hey, this is what I need to do and when and just instructing somebody else to do it so that you have your hands free still. Yeah, I mean, the instructors in these cases are in a sense, the co-pilot or uh, you guys don't term them co-pilot in a helicopter, but, um, or do you, what do you call them? Yes, co-pilot. That is so co-pilot, okay, I didn't know if there was a, um, I know there's a command seat and, and so forth, so I didn't know if there was a different term, but. Co-pilot and aircraft commander. Aircraft commander, there you go. So. And so, I mean, it, it, it makes sense, right? And the instructors are playing that role for you. And then, you know, uh, they're still teaching you, right? I mean, there's still times where they're going to say, okay, well, you know, should we really be doing that? I mean, really, you know, kind of thing, I would think. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's still, I mean, there's quite a few times where the instructors will be, you know, are you sure that's what you want to do right now? Or the uh, the other one being, you know, what should I be doing right now? kind of prompting you with things like that and you are yeah. still obviously getting graded as well uh, yeah. you know you're doing maneuvers to a certain standard if you're outside of that standard you're losing points um, so there's still a grading aspect to it as well but it is much more so of a an understanding and work together and if you mess up an approach one time but then you talk about it in debrief and the next time you nail it you're not going to get penalized and get scored on that first approach. You're going to get rewarded for improving it and fixing it for that second approach. I was just sitting there thinking the one thing you don't want to hear from the instructor slash copilot is I have the controls. <laughs> that means you just maybe just kind of screwed the boot a little bit. Yes. The only one time that you want to hear it is when they're demoing something because, uh, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Then it means that you get a little bit of a break off the controls and you can watch them. And yeah. usually it's pretty funny when the instructors will take the controls after one of our approaches that we kind of messed up because of the wind or whatever. And they're like, here, watch this. And then they mess it up, too, because of the same thing. Yeah. So a little bit of gratification there because it's like, well, I guess Not I wasn't that, that but, bad. Cause, yeah, there you go. I guess I was thrown on the word gratification, but it's. 
it's like ah yeah so i don't feel as bad as i thought i should feel yeah so funny all right well i mean the only part of that other question you maybe didn't answer is just you know um what are your thoughts are there good instructors or bad instructors obviously you're not going to say there's bad instructors and, and honestly you know what is the comment that i've had with you almost you know when we talk about almost every flight you know and you give me the feedback or hear the feedback that they're giving you i'm astounded um, i'm sitting here going um wow these guys are getting, they're teaching you things and they're teaching you realism. They're teaching you real stuff. I mean, that's what I appreciate because, you know, obviously I worry about you flying and there's still accidents out there in the world. And uh, I want to come back to that. Um, you know, so I've, I've always wanted to make sure that your, you know, the quality of your instructors was there because in a sense they have your life in their hands, uh, but they're also teaching you to, you know, be a damn better pilot so you can handle these certain circumstances down the road so you know what they do to you and and put you through your paces on emergency procedures in the air and all these kinds of you know different things that they're drilling you on uh, and then just the just the details that they you know you're telling me that they're, they're providing you you know just the small little adjustments and the you know try this and try that and you know just just I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, I'm just super impressed with, you know, every one of them that I've heard about. Yeah, I really can't say that I've had one that I didn't learn something from, that I didn't come out of the flight, either in primary or advanced, where I didn't come out of the flight saying, yeah, I, I feel like I'm better now than when I got into the aircraft. Yeah. yeah. And I think so that's, it, the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and that's the purpose of all this, right? And And Therefore, what we decided was a good discussion for um, for our podcast today was military training. Um, you know, not everybody that listens to our podcast are ex-military members or had been in the military or currently in the military. So I thought we thought some of our stories from our past, mine a lot more dated than Ryan's, um, you know, would be. Um, kind of, you know, fun to hear and, you know, some of the humor side and some of the bad side um, and some of the, you know, the real realism side, uh, just because, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in, you know, the services are, are really good at training, right? And they should, right? I mean, that's, that's your whole job, except for, you know, Ryan's future role in search and rescue. You know, most of the military is training and preparing for what you don't want to come. But if it comes, and what I mean is warfare or, or delivering a weapon system or or whatever, you, 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 you got to be ready, right? And and it, it, it's got to be instinctual and muscle memory and all those kinds of things. And that's why I think, you know, um, in our topic here today is, um, you know, the military training and, and why it's, why it's, you know, why are they really good at it? Why they're the best? Um, but before we dive in there, I want to come back um, and, uh, you know, I think both of us, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard the news, um, you know, we've lost a couple um, air crews and and uh, other members on board here recently, um, you know, recently with the, uh, you know, 53 going down with five Marines um, and, and losing them all, um, the Air Force having an Osprey go down. Um, you know, those kind of things. So we just wanted to make sure we stopped 
expressed our condolences to the families um, and, you know, our, our, I don't want to say appreciation for their sacrifice because I don't believe in that phrase, um, but, you know, um, you know, recognition of it, recognition of it, I guess, is a better way uh, to say that. And so I ran into know if you had anything else you wanted to say there. No, it's it's always a tough day, uh, you know, unfortunately. There tends to always be somebody that you know around you that knows somebody, especially in the military community, being very small, and especially me being, you know, surrounded by the military community here in flight school. Uh, it's always tough hearing when people know uh, of those who go down, uh, just because aviation is inherently dangerous. And uh, really, my hat's... Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Really, my, my hat's off to them and to the taking the risks and choosing every single day to go up uh, in the aircraft, whatever aircraft type yeah. that may be, the Osprey, the 53, um, 60, you know, F-18s, F-16s, um, yeah. all of them are, are dangerous and all of them are very high performance aircraft and it takes a special type of person to to willingly go do that. And, and taking that a little bit into the segue of some of the training discussions, um, it's not just flyers, right, that, that we lose. We lose others to other accidents and, um, you know, uh, and other military members to other different types of training accidents. I experienced one. Um, I was in Air Force. Um, I was in the Air Force. I went to Army Airborne training um, because of the role that I was to play. And so, um, obviously, we come back to the stories about being one of five Air Force guys amongst 400 Army and, and, and kind of express that whole story. Um, but unfortunately, well, you know, I believe it was my fifth job. And it was, yes, it was my fifth job. It was our winging um, in our sense, getting our jump wings. Um, while I've already completed my job, we were waiting uh, near the stands area. And unfortunately, had um, a um, actually he was a doctor. Um, there's an effect when one parachute comes in over the top of another, and it's a, it creates a leapfrog in a sense event where the top chute in a sense no longer has any air to grab because the vacuum created by the lower chute. So what happens is that chute collapses. You tend to fall immediately. You tend to bounce off of that chute and go past them. And then your chute will open again because it's now got air to grab. And then the chute that was the lower now is the upper and heat collapses. So if you don't steer out of that, and if you don't, once you re reinflate and don't get steered out, you could have this leapfrog effect all the way to the ground. Well, unfortunately, in this case, the leapfrog happened or the the collapse happened too close to the to the ground. Um, and the doctor's chute uh, collapsed and he went to the ground hard. I don't believe he passed away the last we remember and, and understood from everybody, but it was a graduation jump, so we all left the next day. Um, um, his back was broken very badly, and um, I'm not sure the results. But those are the those are the reasons again for all those for training, right? And you know, and when you go through Army Airborne training, there's a whole setup, you know, kind of almost the same concept to to Ryan and flying. Um, you get there and it's all about, are you ready, physically ready? 
So they're putting you through a barrage of just, you know, conditioning work. And there's the first morning is all about smoking you. They just, they put you into, put, into push-ups and put you into sit-ups and they're grilling you, you know, they're hosing you down with water hose and just doing everything they can to break you. And this is after a long formation run. And if anybody knows about running a formation, which, you know, a lot of the military folks will, if you're tall, it sucks because your legs want to yeah. stride out more than the little short guy up front whose stride is half of yours. And so by the time you finish two miles or so, your legs are just freaking cramping. And so, but they take you through this whole smoking exercise. And I will say, and they don't quit until they get people to quit. And and in our first morning, um, I almost got smoked right out right in the beginning. I got to tell a funny part of this, right? The Air Force in their day and, that, and back in that day did something really stupid in our boot camp and so forth that we were issued different color hats. And so I had a freaking orange hat that we wore with our fatigues. And back in our day, back when I was there, we just wore a straight up green fatigue. And this is when the Army was just moving to the camo. Um, and the camo fatigues and away from the straight green fatigues. And um, so here I run out into formation the first day, and I got that stupid orange hat. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I knew I should have gotten rid of that and, and grabbed just a great straight green. I was just a dumbass. And I, I wore that orange hat out, and I got called out in front of 400 damn people by the commander going, what the F is that stupid thing on your head? And so I, I, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm done already. Um, and I'm worried because the deal was with me going Army Airborne, um, I was still in ROTC at the time. So I'm still a college student. I was in my between my junior and senior year of college. This is considered advanced training for us. But then because of where I was forecasted to go, um, I needed to go to this. And so if I failed Army Airborne class, if I got booted out or if I dropped the DOR down Airborne, I lost my scholarship and I was done and I would not get to get commissioned. And so I had tremendous amount of pressure on me going, you know, holy crap, I can't screw up. So I get called out like that. I'm like, oh, great, I'm, I'm done. You know, here I go, losing it all, you know, and I'm a freaking five minutes into the whole thing, you know? So it's just uh, freaky. So we get smoked, you know, I would say 20 or so people around me quit within the first, and there was no way in hell I was quitting. I mean, there was just no way in hell I was quitting. I I, I could really even extend my arms and push-ups at this point. I mean, I'm just absolutely freaking dying. Um, you know, I'm going through this whole thing. They had a little side drill they did. So they pop you up, and then they make you take your helmet off. And then they tell you to put your helmet back on, but you had only like 15 seconds to get your helmet on and strapped back and your chin strap back on, right, and everything else. And if you're really rushed and fussy, you know, this is, this is a silly little thing, but it's just another thing to put panic into you. Um, and that's what you're trying to do is add stress, right? And and um, so it was, <laughs> it was, so yes, that was hard. So there's a lot of people quit and quit right away. Um, the second day, um, they started going down through the line and they saw me standing there. I did not have an orange hat on at this point. I found a green hat. And so uh, I had a green hat on, so I wasn't gonna get caught out that way again. But 
um, you got you stood inspection every morning and he stood on these cables and there's these cables spread across this this rock area and so you had to go um, they go down the line go do the inspection you know i'm perfect i got my hair right i shaved my head you know i did everything just because it's it's also july in fort benning georgia so it's hot as absolute shit um you know so you do you get rid of all your hair you know because just for self-preservation well they started calling the air force guys out so air force go to the gig pit so a gig pit and you know in the airborne is basically another place where you basically got smoked for an hour while everybody else was just doing general pt you're in this sawdust gig pit that they're hosting you down and just abusing you and um just going through you know your, your paces just about tenfold over what everybody else did and this is for guys that failed inspection and so forth and everything else. But mostly, in our case, it was there was five Air Force guys and there's five guys. I will tell you, we were there in the gig pit every day for three weeks. By the second week, we were getting caught up. They didn't even have to. They'd start inspection, and all us five Air Force guys just took off running and went running for the gig pit because we knew we were going, you know. So they got a big kick out of that. The Black Hats got a huge kick out of that. That our our Esprit de Corps was there and we were fired up. And you know, so the by the third week, we take off running for the gateway. And they're telling us, Oh, get back, get back, you're good, you're good. We're like, no, we're going, you know. And so um, but back to my purpose, everything had a purpose, right? Everything stepped up in training, everything went through, you know, physically fit to do it. Here's the basic mechanics, here is the you know, here's some simulations of what it feels like to step out the door, jump out the door on these cable systems. Here's how it feels to get high, pulled up in these towers and drop from 200 some feet. Here's how it feels and everything progresses. And this is why, you know, you know, one example of how I think military training is, is, you know, set up wonderfully because it, it there's the realism and there's a purpose and there's, you know, why you're doing this. And I think more people need to to accept that in, in corporate training and everything else is why are you doing this and how to and build to that point, right? So I I just want to that's kind of a story I wanted to start with, right? I did, maybe you can you know because your your world was a little different. I also went through um, boot camp the summer before, and I'll come back to that. But you know, right walking into an academy, I walked him up, and we. He met in this in-processing area. It was six o'clock in in the morning on his first day. Um, you know, only a parent can come up with them to be there, and then you get called in to, to in-processing, right? And you walk up and you hand your paperwork and all that kind of stuff, and then they formed you into a small group formation. And that's the last time I got to see him, and I was not going to get to see him again for I don't know how many weeks was that, right? Um. um. Swap summer as a whole is seven weeks long. Seven weeks. So, in in the, in his day, they took their phones away from them. They took their social media away from them. So they couldn't call. They couldn't post anything. They couldn't do any of that stuff. We were just cut off. And so, you know, he could write letters, but it was it was hard because we'd get a letter, but the, it came a week after, so we don't know, you know, and. There's another bad side. There was always this guy that took photos from everybody. He posted them on Facebook. So you, you, it was always this find Waldo thing where we just we searched through these photos that he posted on Facebook every almost every day to try to find him to see if we could see him, you know. And and then every once so they post videos and so forth. And I panicked on one video because I saw him in this video limping. I thought he was limping across the field. I'm like, oh shit, he's hurt. 
you know. And so, um, you know, so that was just kind of wild. So, Ray, why don't you kind of take take us into to, to Suave Summer a little bit and some of the, uh, you know, the intricacies, but why it was, in a sense, good, too. The, the bad, the good, you know, bad, you know, the funny, the, the good, maybe. Yeah, Suave Summer is so unique, and it's also called Plebe Summer or... I don't remember what West Point and them call it, but basically it is your boot camp before entering into one of the service academies. And so it's so unique from any other boot camp because if you go enlist or you go officer candidate school and you go to boot camp, it is actual drill instructors that it is their job for two to three years to be a drill instructor, to be running that boot camp or running that program. I mean, I'm sure the guys at at Army Airborne School, like that's their job is to be instructors at Army Airborne School. Right. But what what makes it unique at the service academies is that it is students that are running boot camp. So it is. uh, It's higher classmen. It's higher classmen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rising juniors at the academy that it is their job and some a few seniors in leadership positions it is their first leadership opportunity is running swab summer. And so, yes, you know, you get a lot of the military stuff, but it's also just, you get people that are trying to figure out how to lead and trying to figure out how to do this. And they've never done it before and you've never done it before. And so it makes for a lot of interesting dynamics because as a, as a swab, as you're known at that point, you think these cadre are like the biggest, baddest, scariest things on earth. Then now looking back two years later when I was doing it as a platoon commander. Yeah, you're right. You're just as nervous as as the swabs because you don't know what you're doing either. But getting that experience as going into the academy, I think, is such a valuable way to do it simply because you're learning from people who are in the core of cadets with you and they're setting the standard that they want to uphold for the core. And so a lot of it is, you know, the typical dumb stuff, like you've got a room inspection and they come in and because your blinds are on the left side of the window instead of the right, they trash your room. And then you get it all inspection ready for the next week and you get inspected again and you put your blinds on the right because that's what they said. And then they come in and say, nope, they're supposed to be on the left. And they trash your room. And again, why? In, you know, the, I had the same thing happen in mine. And it's, there's a purpose in that, right? We're, again, trying to add mental stress and add address and, and see if you can trip somebody up. See if you can get them to lose their cool. Um, see how they react to that, right? And again, the purpose of all these little things had purpose. Which is, you know, which is one of the things why we think this training is so good. Go ahead. Well, and it's also, it's uh, it's putting you under stress. It's putting you under uncomfortable situations. Seeing who is going to come out of that better, who is going to learn from that experience and grow stronger, and who is going to either panic or who is going to get just so frustrated that they can't even function. Because that's the thing about the service academies is it's a lot of type A people. It's a lot of people who were perfectionists, a lot of people who have always scored really well in grades, were really involved in extracurriculars, were outstanding athletes, you know, were kind of the 
for the best, and that's why they were selected. But when you academy, you have to quickly become comfortable with not being perfect at everything. You have to become comfortable with understanding that there are going to be things that are not going to go your way, and how to handle the, that stuff is more important than whether you're getting it right or wrong. And that's what I think all of our instructors, our cadre were wanting us to see was they would give us these ridiculous times. We'd have like six minutes to get undressed, change into our towel and bathrobe, walk to the shower, shower, dry off, walk back to our rooms, get changed and get back out on the wall. It's like nobody can do that. You know, yes, our heads were shaved, but still nobody can actually shower and clean off in that period of time. And put tennis shoes back on and tie them, and all while still having your room completely stowed when you leave it. But, but the he, principle he, he, of it was, yeah. the principle of it was instead that how to work together, how to become more efficient. So inspections, yeah. cleaning for inspections, we'd have very short times to clean the entire wing area and everybody's yeah. room and trash and mopping and sweeping, yeah. but as we well, got better at it, they would take those times down more and more, and we would get closer to them yeah. because you have this pressure being put on you that the people who were getting frustrated, they were the ones that were leaving. The people that were understanding, you know, yes, I'm going to get, going to have to do a bunch of push ups here, or do planks, or do PT because we missed this time, but we're getting closer to the time. And that was where you started to see the the benefit from it, because by the end of the summer, you know, you guys are clicking on all cylinders as a team yeah. and you well, understand what it's like. Yeah, well, again, it's to emphasize the teamwork and so forth. We did the same thing even way back, you know, 30 years ago when I went through all that. We did the same thing and we had the same time dress, dress thing and everything else. But this is what to teach you and the training purposes. Team coordination and teamwork, right? We ended up creating an assembly line through the shower system, right? We had three shower heads. You got down there, you got in line, you you went to the first shower head, you got wet, you step back. Next guy's already into the water. You're soaping up and everything else. You'd step forward, rinse off, step back, shampooing your head, step back in, and everybody, you got this zigzag line, and you basically process and people down the shower. Right. And then I had three roommates. Right. I had three in my room. And so first guy back into the room, he had he took we we knew the key tasks. Right. Everybody was responsible for their own bed, bunk, all that kind of stuff. But the other knew, OK, I got to hit the blinds. I got to do this. The next guy comes back in the room. He knows he's got to get the sweeping done. Whatever. Again, it forces you to go through this these exercises of, of teamwork and cooperation and you know, working with the team. But. You know, the training's purpose is one to teach that, but also to create the stressors because the people that can't handle that are not going to handle stress situations in the service, right? In their jobs and so forth. If you can't handle the pressure, we this is the type of people we got to vet out, right? And this is what worries me about today is we, you know, if we lower the standards too much, we're going to have people that can't handle the stress in the in the time of action that's going to fail and that's going to cost people lives. And so we cannot be, and I don't, you know, I have no proof of, you know, that the standards being lowered or anything like that, 
I'm just saying if if it is because you know everywhere else is you know and and you know no going on the standards are being changed right and so um, good and bad I don't want to start that argument but good and bad but in this case you know the standard is the standard you got to be able to deliver this or you don't really I mean and we can't change it you know it's it's pretty clear and indicative you know but I so think that's why boot camp is so important is just simply because it is all entirely subjective yeah there is standards and either you meet them or you don't there is no you know gray lines or you know eh, did they make it did they not yeah. nope it is exactly either a or b yeah well and i really liked the fact that you know that that was run by you know other cadets that other cadets were running the program and it's the same way at the other academies and that it's run by and, and again it, it teaches you the whole another other angle and perspective and how do you lead how do you direct how do you do these things um how do you direct your staff versus how do you deal with when you were a platoon commander and it's and just for the record a platoon at, at the academy is not what you an army platoon of whatever 12 or 13 um and again I apologize don't know not army um but you had I don't know, how many approximately did you have under your approximately plan. 38 swabs and uh, nine cadre yeah so here you go you got a, you got a young kid who's a junior in college put into this position now to lead through all this and you know you got selected for that you were you know based on your acumen and in your record to date and uh, what people had seen of your leadership skills and so forth up to that point so you got selected for that position and but I thought it was a great thing because you had to learn. You had a, you had a, I, you told me stories about a couple of these cadets that walked in there, definite A type personalities, thought their shit didn't stink. And they were just, you know, trying to just, in a sense, laugh their way past everything and just saying, I'm too good. I don't have to, I don't have to listen to you. And how you had to deal, you, you we had a conversation one night. How do I deal with this person? You know, and so, you know, we, we went through that and, you change that cadet, you know, from from what I understand, and it, right? I mean, yes, it was really it was a great experience for me to see it from three levels, honestly, because first off, my first summer I was a swab, so I was the one going through it, and then actually getting to be in the leadership position, I learned a ton about delegating tasks, about responsibility, about how to use some of these meaningless things that annoyed the hell out of me when I was in Swab Summer because it was like, what is the point of this? But then now looking back at it as a platoon commander, it was, these are training tools that they don't necessarily recognize why, but they will. Like leading up to the big culminating event of Swab Summer is called Sea Trials. Well, the day, the two days prior to Sea Trials, we continuously repped the platoon doing a fire drill and egress out of the building without being able to see. So they practice with their eyes closed, coming out of their rooms, forming up on each other, grabbing onto the shirt of the person in front of them, finding the stairs and getting out of the building without being able to see, because in a smoky situation, you might not be able to. Well, that translates to on sea trials, you get woken up at three o'clock in the morning to a fire alarm and you're, they're all the lights are off so you can't see 
you can't see where you're going. And so what happened on sea trials, they were the first platoon out. And actually, that was even a case of it wasn't even meant to be, but another platoon accidentally set off the fire alarm. So they got woken up 20 minutes before they were supposed to. And just as all of us were getting into the wing area to make sure they were okay, they'd already gotten outside and formed up because they just figured they had repped it so many times that it was muscle memory. And same with like sea bags and stuff, which are the big green military bags. We did all of these different stupid games with making them fill it with all different kinds of stuff. And they had to move them all over as a team and do all these different activities that we could tell they were like, what is the point of this? But by the time they got to sea trials, the platoon won almost every single, I think all except one event, they won that day. Your and platoon we ended up, won all those, yeah. My platoon won all of that, and we ended up being honor platoon for the summer and absolutely destroyed all of the other platoons in, in the scoring for sea trials. And so those were things that, as those swabs came back and talked to me after the summer, they realized this is why we were doing it. And then I got the outstanding opportunity as well to be an ensign there back helping out with Swab Summer for now a second time. But now instead of being a cadre, I was there just as while you're waiting to, role. Yeah. While you were waiting to head to flight school, they had you go back to the academy, right? So yes. I just want to clarify that real quick. So And so, you know, then at that point, having already been through it as a swab and as a cadre, I had an even greater knowledge of how things worked and the correlation between stuff where then I was able to advise the oncoming platoon commanders on tips and tricks and how to and techniques for things, but also talk to some of the swabs that would ask me questions and tips and t- tricks and techniques for them. And so it was just such a, a full circle opportunity to see how this military training that at each level we gain a greater glimpse into why we do things that we may not be able to see it when we're doing them at that level. But when you look back, you're able to recognize the training value and things. Well, again, so circle back on our conversation, then I'm going to come back to this. Is that That's why we did this podcast, because we wanted you to understand that and why we like military training so much is the realism and how it applies. Yes, it, it's very real. It's nothing you're doing in the military is just for no reason. You know, as dumb as some things may look, and, you know, certainly there's movies out there that will make jokes about things or blow things out of proportion as far as, you know, the the hilarity of some of the stuff that the military does. All of it has a purpose, whether it is a direct purpose or indirect it is building the most capable all-around men and women for service to their country. And it is branch-specific a lot of times. It is job-specific. There is no wasted time in military yeah. training. Well, and again, I'm not trying to say that military is the answer to the corporate world because, you know, I've been in now in the corporate world for a long time. It, it, not all of that directly carries over, you know, but for the military, the, the the applicability, the realism, the the steps, um, you know, in a sense, clearing the weeds of, of people who are not going to be ready to be able to handle it, right? I mean, every 
every service has their certain way of weeding out for the different missions that we're talking about. Green Berets have a different way of doing it than the Rangers do. The SEALs have a different way of doing it, you know, than, than others. And so and everything is appropriate, right? And it's scaled appropriate. It's, it's done appropriately for that, in a sense, training you're trying to work through to become qualified for or complete or whatever. You know, airborne training is, is, is you know, is unique and different because of what you're doing and um you know and, and what you're doing so it's different than than a pilot you know and different than flight school you know you wouldn't do the same things to to somebody in flight school you you do the things like ryan talked about in our episode where you go through the the water skills and the water training and so forth because you're freaking water services right your navy and your coast guard um or your marines that may fly over water water is applicable you know and so if you're a danger to yourself in the water, you shouldn't be doing that, right? So again, it's it, it's why we appreciate it, I guess, is what we're trying to say. Um, you know, we're, we 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 kind of appreciate the services. My boot camp was different than than Ryan's in a sense because we had, as mentioned, we had you know uh, officers come back and run the boot camp. You know, um, not cadets, and so. The cadets were going through it, but I'm I'm also ROTC, right? I'm not academy. Um, I'm you know I'm going through the ROTC program, and so ours was six weeks, and and we did a lot of the same you know dorm stuff and and time pressures and the mental games. We had somebody lose it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I had somebody in my platoon lose it um, because. The, of the that's why I always tell everybody that the blind story and, and it was funny that you got hit with the same blind story that that I had happened to me because he could he freaked out he just God damn you you top telling me one thing and then do it tell me why why do you keep flipping back and forth stick with it but I don't understand why we're doing this bullshit and everything else and he just lost it and then he he got in the face of an officer and and in a sense chest bumped him pushed him and everything else that's why you did it right that guy can't handle pressure that guy can't handle the situation right what do they say you know for for sports or combat or whatever you know no plan <laughs> survives initial contact right so if you don't have people that can process and deal with these things right that's why you put it into the training that's why you do these things and that's just another benefit of you know of, of military training um you you do the you do the smart stuff by you know air force okay we're supposed to be the smart people that's an argumentative uh, i know um you know but while we were there we were going through classes and we had you know we had classes that we had to take and we had tests and so forth that we had to take and go through and if you couldn't pass the academic side you were gone you know and so you had to go through the academics you know um you know different different things and we had this silly thing called the 54 commands. And so this was the drill thing. Um, we used to do a lot of drilling out in the middle of these big, you know, big parade areas, big blacktop surfaces. So imagine a big blacktop surface about 400 by 400 yards in Kansas, where I was, um, in the summertime. So I've done all my training in the middle of the summer in the hottest damn places ever. But we used to, we used to, do the 54 commands and you had to you had to be able to execute it in the platoon going through the different steps 
or you had to step out front and be the squad leader, platoon leader, whatever, and running everybody through these sequence of 54 commands. You had to memorize the 54 commands. You had to be able to execute them in sequence, in proper, and within a size of a box. And so you had to keep your platoon inside this box um, going through this. So again, why? I could think of a lot of reasons now. Then I'm like, what the F am I doing this for? You know, you know, at the time I was going to, you know, I was hoping to be a pilot. And I'm like, how is this ever going to help me be a better pilot? Well, I'll figure it out later, you know. Um, you know, it's memorizing a checklist. It's it's knowing your emergency procedure checklist like the back of your hand. I mean, it's just it it all ties together. It's it's, it's just good stuff. I don't know, right? If you had any other stories, sorry, I'm spinning off because my 30 year old brain is a uh, 30 year old past brain is kicking in about uh, what I did a long time ago. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's a lot of good stories. I think, uh, you know, one, the flight school one that always kind of cracks you up is uh, instructors, it wouldn't be uncommon when we were flying instrument flights so that you ask them to put in a certain heading and they would put in something completely different. And this didn't happen to me, but one of my close buddies, and uh, he was asked the instructor to to put in 230 for the heading, um, which for instrument flights, you know, you're following a certain heading to align with the runway to come in and land, but his instructor to see if he caught it, put in 130. Well, for those of you that know cardinal directions, 230 and 130 are in completely different directions. And so, needless to say, he flies along for a few minutes on 130 and goes to start his landing checklist and stuff. And the instructor's like, dude, where's the airport? And he's looking all around, looking all around, looking down at his map, like trying to figure out where he went wrong. And meanwhile, continuing to fly 130. And his instructor's like, why don't you look down at what heading you're flying? And literally like three or four minutes later he finally recognized i've been flying 100 degrees off for the last four minutes and i am now nowhere even remotely close to this airport so he from what he told me that was quite a tail between the legs moment uh as you have to call back on the radio and basically say that you completely jacked it up yeah but after that you know you learn to never ignore things like that in your scan so you're gaining more spatial awareness you're more acute to what is going on in the cockpit and taking control of your cockpit in a sense where you understand where you are in space you understand where you're flying you understand what air traffic control is wanting you to do and it makes you a better pilot but at the moment it's an incredibly embarrassing thing when you're just flying off into infinity instead of going into land yeah yeah that's that's attention to detail right and that's another one that mm-hmm. they beat into you through no matter what service no matter what in boot camp standard attention to detail you know they, they they rip you for having a thread on your uniform well it ain't about the thread on your uniform dude it's about the attention to detail your focus that you understand what you should be looking for and what should be should be what's right, what's not right, what what's out of norm versus norm, you know, these kinds of things. And well, and I think it ties into a pride sense too, where 
at some point with your uniforms especially but with your performance overall you get to a point where you're when you finally do get some gratification from your work you're proud and you want to continue chasing that feeling where you take pride in the way that your uniform looks you take pride in your preparation for things you take pride in you know your ability to handle situations and it becomes this sense of discipline and pride in what you're doing and that's what ultimately the military is building in all of these training I, I look back. That's a great point, right? And I, I, I will take this as the closure um, that building that pride is huge. Knowing that you accomplish these things at the end because of your training, because of what they took you through. Um, you know, I had some of the black hats in airborne training were just total asses. I mean, just hardcore asses. But there was others that would sneak over in, into your ear, whisper something to you. Because you were struggling. I, I was struggling with my PLFs at first, parachute landing falls. And so this walk, this instructor walked over to me and he whispered something into my ear. And he just told me something. And I can't repeat it because it's not appropriate. <laughs> but it, it was something he, he said in my ear, to, to the technique. And so when he told me that, the next time I went down, you know, because you, you practice PLFs, you're, you stand up on this box and you hang on to this. Uh, bar that's on a cable system and you slide down this cable system real fast and it's on an angle and you drop down into the pet, right? And and then you do a PLF, like your parachute's coming down forward into the land. So after I hit it, and it, you know, because he whispered something in my ear and I, I came up smiling and he was just beaming because he was standing out in front of me to see it. And he was just beaming in pride. I was beaming in pride because I took something I was really struggling with, and it's it's really kind of PLF is a complicated thing where you have to you have to knees together, bend your knees. You have to, in a sense, hit like nine spots on your body as it works up to absorb the blow as you go into the ground. And so, you know, if you're inflexible in your hips, or if you're inflexible in certain areas, if you have a knee injury or something, it don't work well. So. And again, so coming back to the point is the pride was there. I gained a tremendous amount of pride for completing that. When they pinned my wings on, I had a tremendous amount of pride because I completed something that was extremely difficult. I went through a whole process that was really difficult, knowing the pressures that were on me, um, that I could lose my scholarship and I could lose everything. And and to know I completed it was, was huge to me, you know? Now I'm walking around with my jump wings on my chest thinking I'm cool as shit, you know, um, you know, full of pride. Until um, later learned that, you know, the Air Force Academy guys get it for jumping out of the Cessna. So I'm just like, yeah. So now I kind of lost it. But, um, you know, <laughs> I never liked that whole, whole story. Why'd you get him versus going through the hell that we did? Um, but anyways. So let's wrap this, right? And I think all of us, in the military have different stories of what you went through for different trades. We all appreciate now why, you know, and you're still going through it. So you're still getting in building stories and you will build stories over a lot of time here. Um, you know, so you're going to build even more. I guess the emphasis of the episode is there's reasons to do things. The military, we think, does these things really well. Do we do stupid stuff? Does the military do stupid stuff? Yeah. Um, is all training perfect? No. 
but are there cases in many cases that it saved lives or kept somebody healthy or was key in a situation? Yes, right? And that's that's it. And did we get the right people into the right roles? Yeah, for the most part, not always, but sometimes people weed through, right? And we can't help that. So I think we wanted to stress here our appreciation for military training and um, and understand and uh, and I'm sure anybody listening that has military would will have you know could go on stories like us. Um, you know we're probably telling you a tenth of our stories or you know or, or hundreds of our stories um, that we've been through. And I'm and I'm sure you all have them. But we wanted to say this for those that hadn't gone through military training and understand and hopefully you get an appreciation and understanding now when you see the news and they're critical about certain things. Why is the military doing this? There's a reason people um, stop listening to the news in the first place. They lie about everything. So anyways, Ryan, I'll let you wrap and then we will close out. I think you really hit it all. You know, military, you take it for what it is. It's got a lot of good and there's certainly some bad that comes along with it. But the biggest part that you get from from going through training like this is the camaraderie with everybody around you and that shared sense of of enduring through the suck embracing the yeah. suck you know as people embracing say yeah yep. and you know i just i love that i've gotten an opportunity to be a part of that and i'm excited to continue being a part of that and you know if you're looking at joining i hope that this offers some sort of semblance as far as what you can expect and um if you've already been through it then obviously you know what what we're talking about so uh, we really appreciate you know everybody tuning in and listening and the comments from last week uh, with the flight school podcast and you know if anybody has any questions or comments or you know funny things they want to tell us about then we'd love to hear about that too yeah we'll share them and share as much as we can and and because uh, we want to do that and um you know if you have other suggestions for other podcasts along these topical lines let us know we'll see what we can do here and I just want to close out by saying uh, we were talking about pride before. So I had pride in things, but I also got, I had a tremendous amount of pride, but we were watching the Indeswab summer. Um, we got to see it on video. They had cameras up and everything else. And they were doing a video of the end of Ryan's uh, swab summer when he was a cadre commander, uh, when he was a, uh, a platoon commander. Right. And so, they were going to announce the the honor platoon, and I was I knew how hard he worked to to obtain that, and I knew that was a goal of his to be that. So when they called his his platoon's name and he got to march out and came out with his um, uh, guide on and and got that ribbon on that thing, that was a huge amount of pride. I was jumping up and down. This is pride as hell, and so now I'm looking forward. So maybe here in July, you know, or sometime in August or maybe June, I don't know. Um, being able to go up there and punch those wings on his chest. And I'm, I'm just, I can't wait for that moment. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, you know, another, well, we enjoyed another great episode and. Uh, your continued support allows us to keep doing this. So uh, until next time, everybody, I am signing off. 
Thank you, everybody. Appreciate the opportunity.